David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. I am Elliot Harris, and David is either out practicing law or out practicing golf, not in the studio today, but we have a great show with a couple of interviews with two former Green Bay Packer legends, Paul Horning and Bart Starr. We will start off with number 15, Bart Starr, talking about his days in Alabama. Uh, I didn't get a chance to play for Coach Bryant. I was a, a, a dinosaur. I was at, at Alabama before Coach Bryant came back there to coach, and so I didn't get a chance to play for him. I would have loved to, but uh, I didn't have that opportunity. Who was your coach at Alabama? Well, we had a couple of different coaches, some that people may not even remember, but uh, uh, we, we had some other coaches other than Bryant. You grew up in Montgomery. Was it just natural to go to Alabama as opposed to, say, Auburn or someplace else? That's a, that's a, you've, you've asked a great question. Yes, I did go up in Mont- grow up in Montgomery. We, we lived all over the country. My dad was in the military, so we moved around some. But in my final years of school and in, in high school, he was able to stay at uh, a location for a few years, so I was able to stay in the same school system, and so that's what ended up there. But, yes, I did, and uh, I had met this beautiful lady, whom I'd fallen in love with in high school as a senior. And the reason that I stayed at the University of Alabama is that I discovered she was going to go to Auburn, and I was planning at that time to go to Kentucky and play for Coach Bryant. But I thought to myself, I go to Lexington, Kentucky, and she goes to Auburn, Alabama. I'm going to lose her. So <laughs> I called the greatest audible of my life and chose to go to Tuscaloosa, where I can, in an old jalopy or something, I could drive some miles and see her or whatever on occasion and at least keep that uh, relationship alive. So if Brett Musburger would have saw your uh, future wife, he would have basically said she's a gorgeous woman? She He certainly would have because she was. <laughs> Must be being an Alabama quarterback, you get the beautiful women. Well, I don't know about the trend. But if it is, that's great. But I know one thing: I was very, very lucky. <laughs> we've been we've been married fifty nine years. That's pretty pretty good. Yes, definitely. My wife was. I was going to say my wife doesn't look to be fifty nine years old, and when, so, then when we should say something about being married that long and. And somebody will say that, you know, look 59, and, and I'll say, well, she's only three when I married her, and they'll laugh. <laughs> Robbing the cradle. Yeah, that's right. What was your experience in Alabama like? Well, it was a great experience. I had wanted to go to uh, to school, as I said, uh, where Coach Bryant was at the time, which was Kentucky, but I, I chose to call a great audible and go to Alabama because my wife-to-be uh, was going over to Auburn. I didn't want to lose her, and so that's why I chose to go there. But it turned out to be a great decision. It's an excellent school, and I knew that in, in going in. 
but uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I was in a business school there, and it was just super fun and a great challenge, and I enjoyed all four years. And then you ended up playing with the Packers. I mean, did you know anything about Green Bay? Uh, no, I didn't know that much about it. I knew where it was, obviously, but I, I wasn't that familiar with it uh, for the same reasons. But it was just a joy and an honor, and the longer we stayed there, uh, the more we came to love it even more because it is a tremendous community. The people are fabulous, and I'm not exaggerating. They're as great as anywhere you'll find. Now, you were a 17th-round draft pick. Your expectations going up to Green Bay were what? Well, they were in, in, inspired uh, by that low-round draft choice because I was, I was going to prove to them that I was worth it. And so uh, and I understood why I was a low-round draft choice. But at any rate, uh, I had worked extremely hard. I had never worked so hard in my life before going to a training camp than when I went to that first Green Bay Packer training camp. What was that first training camp like? Well, it was great. It was uh, very solid and and, and uh, very fundamentally strong, and I loved it. I just thought it was a great time. You weren't exactly going to an NFL powerhouse, though. No, we weren't, but I just wanted to get into the NFL and to play there, and the more reading I had done and continued to about Green Bay and its franchise and the, the community and on and on and on, the more I was falling in love with it. So I could hardly wait to get up there. Forrest mentioned that the one season when it was early years, you guys only won one game. He couldn't remember who you guys beat, but he goes, it was a tough season. But he said the players were coming in and we kept getting stronger and stronger. Well, that's exactly right. The, to the credit of the Packers, their coaches were doing a better job each year, and and we were building, and that was the the foundation piece because that uh, those fundamentally strong people who became then that foundation uh, were extremely helpful. Now, the offense that the Packers ran was that familiar to you at all? Uh, yes and no. Some some phases were, but uh, the, the way it was. A call a plays were called and and how they were established and what the rationale and so forth and so on was and and change ups out of some of those plays uh was a little bit different but uh, that too led to an excitement a challenge because it was something a little different than what you had perhaps been a, been associated with somewhere else back in those days it wasn't like today where it's wide open passing game it was more of a running league. Did you enjoy that, or did you kind of wish you could air it out more? Well, I enjoyed our offense because it was solid. And it was one of the reasons it was based on, on the run more than the pass in those days was that we had some very strong runners. And so, obviously, we were taking advantage of that, and we had some excellent offensive linemen, and we did. And by having that as a core, then our passing game was very effective because we could run play-action passes as though it was going to be a run, and pull back and pass and so forth. And so it uh, it offered a, a great challenge for us, and, and it was a very strong challenge for our opponents. What was it like being a backup? A challenge there, too, because uh, you, you want to play, and you understand why maybe coaches are going with someone else. They, they have different reasons. They know more about the other person and so on and so forth, and they're staying with them. But uh, 
I felt that it was a challenge, and 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 uh, a challenge each day in practice, so that you could you wanted to perform better, so they would see you as a possibility of working into that starting slot. And then Lombardi came in in the late 50s, what, 59, and what were your expectations then? I mean, he was the Giants' offensive coordinator, but did you guys know how good of a coach he could be? Well, no, we didn't have any idea at all. We just uh, were interested in, and were reading a lot about him and following him and so forth, but uh, no, we had no idea at all because we had not been exposed to him that much. How did things change when Lombardi came in? Well, it changed immediately because when he held his first meeting with us, uh, I, I could tell within 15 seconds that this man was truly going to be special because of the way he approached our meeting. He had about 10 or 12 of us, a mixture of offense and defensive players, and just his approach was so solid, so sound, uh, so simple and direct that you were just you couldn't wait to get to the, the next little piece you're going to talk about. I'll always remember our first meeting because after we were in it for about 45 minutes, we took a break, and I ran just a short distance down the hallway there in the Packer office building where we were holding this meeting and got on the pay telephone and called my wife back here in Alabama, and all I said to her was, Honey, we're going to begin to win. And, and when you did, I mean, you won championship after championship, the NFL championships, and then the first two Super Bowls. Was it all because of Lombardi? Well, not all because of him, but primarily because of him, because leadership starts at the top. And uh, you have to have strong leaders if you're going to accomplish anything. And uh, obviously you have to have the, the people with you that, that forms the team. But uh, that's what that leader does because he gets great assistant coaches and good players and so forth. They build an organization. But uh, it was so obvious, from, as I said, from that very first meeting that we were going to change and going to win, and that's why I was so pumped. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed that the Packers, rather than have a playbook with a zillion plays, would have a limited playbook but run them almost to perfection. Well... I don't know what the size of playbooks of some other teams were. I have no idea. But uh, we, what we did is that we were very strong and very solid, and we had uh, everything built around a core of plays. And you had obviously excellent alternate plays off of those things, but what we had that I, I thought was very strong on Coach Lombardi's part was the core of the offense was so sound and so solid that it was unbelievable. We were very, very proud and pleased with it. What's amazing is that Vince Lombardi only lost one playoff game in his career. I mean, I don't think you'll ever see that happen again. I'm sorry, what about seeing it again? I don't think you'll ever see a coach only lose one playoff game in his entire career. Yeah, I think it would be very difficult to see that, too. I agree with you. And how hard did he take that loss? Well, difficult. He uh, he moves on immediately after it because that was typically of Coach Lombardi, but it was a disappointment, and uh, so he used that as a as a plus, as a tool for building, rebuilding, and going on and winning the next ones. Now you've been in the NFL championship games before and won. What was Super Bowl one like? 
exciting, very challenging, uh, thrilling. We were just <laughs> blown away to be honored to be in it. But that game wasn't even sold out. I mean, it was just kind of like an afterthought because didn't the NFL or the NFC basically think that, you know what, the NFC Championship game was really the Super Bowl or the championship game, and this was just an afterthought because there was the other league. Well, that's true, and I'm, I'm guessing, just I'm imagining that when you have uh, another league that's come along that uh, many people uh, in the old traditional NFL, so to speak, uh, felt that way about it. But uh, <laughs> little did they know how strong that was and how good the Kansas City Chiefs were because I can tell you unequivocally the Kansas City Chiefs were an outstanding team. But you guys did handle them fairly easily. Well, uh, I, I think that we were very strong as a team, and because we had been together for a, you know longer than they had, obviously, but uh, we, we were able to handle them quite well. But I don't think enough people realize how tough every play was, because the Chiefs were good. I mean, we didn't just run all over them and so forth and blow them out of the stadium. And that was just not the case at all. The Chiefs were very well coached, extremely uh, talented group, and we had a fierce uh, competitive game going there, which we knew going in. Coach Lombardi had done a great job of preparing us for it so that we didn't overlook it and didn't just think that this was just a, you know, a secondary kind of league that we were playing. He saw how good the Kansas City Chiefs were. Every former Packer we've talked to just loves Vince Lombardi. They said he treated every, he treated every player the same. He didn't care if you were the star or the last guy in the team. You were the same in his eyes, and there wasn't a racist bone in his body. Well, he was a, typically a, a sound, a thorough coach. And I think that's where, where a lot of people may have gotten those statements because he would. He was uh, extremely well organized, very, very well prepared, and thorough in his approach of how to handle different people in different positions throughout the team. This Paul Hornick was an easy guy to handle. <laughs> Excuse me, I had to cough a minute. He... Uh, <laughs> Not because of that. I, I'm nursing a bad cold here, and I apologize. But he, uh, Paul was quite a gentleman. He was uh, uh, vibrant, alive, despised curfews. He and Max McGee, I don't know if they ever made two curfews the whole time they played with the Packers. But uh, Coach Lombardi just fined the heck out of them and went on about his business because he knew how good they were. Well, you know, history has told us that the night before the Super Bowl, Max McGee was out and about and then ends up making a, a fantastic touchdown reception. Could you tell in the huddle that he was not at particularly close to 100% in the Super Bowl? No, I couldn't, not at all. And, and ironically, uh, I was one of those who had seen him uh, the morning of the game and knew that he had been out all night. I was going down to pick up a paper the morning of the game, and I'm walking toward the front desk to pick it up, and on my left... And one of the entrances of the hotel, walking through, and this is at 7 a.m. in the morning of the first Super Bowl, is Max McGee. 
And my thought was, oh, my God, here we are, the biggest, greatest game of our lives. And this guy has been out all night. And he had been, but you saw what he did. He just played like gangbusters during that ball game. You probably didn't feel any pain out there. I guess not. Uh, if Marty had seen him coming in at 7 a.m., would he have still played? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what, what that would have been like. It would have been interesting to find out. <laughs> You had some great players on those teams went into the Hall of Fame. Dave Robinson's going in this year. When is your lineman Jerry Kramer going in? I don't know. I don't know what uh, what is the basis for the selection committee at the Hall of Fame. I just I, I don't know. I can tell you one that uh, also is very, very deserving and I think is disappointing and that I – root for each year and write about each year, and that's Bob Skaronsky, our, our offensive captain and our left tackle, blindside tackle for a quarterback, right-handed quarterback, and he was a fabulous, fabulous tackle. And flipped that over, and on the right side was Forrest Gregg. Well, Forrest Gregg went to the Hall of Fame with me in 1977. And here we are at this time, and Bob Skaronsky on the other side over there was – if you looked at the grades on Monday morning following ball games, the marks for Bob Skaronsky and Forrest Gregg were almost identical. And I think it's a political process. I mean, Dave Robinson's a great player. I know he's on the board of the hall, but like you said, there's a lot of guys deserving, and I don't know how they come up with these names. Well, I'm not sure what the selection committee is uh, uh, structured, or how, excuse me, how it's structured, but I, I do know, and I'm obviously very biased, but I've seen others who've gone in the Hall of Fame since we went in years ago, and with no disrespect to any of them, and many of them are good, but I, I have yet to see an offensive tackle or lineman go in there that's anywhere close to what Bob Skaronsky was. Most people, unfortunately, don't have a clue because of all the media stuff and so forth that was directed toward Forrest Gregg, and deservedly so. He deserved it. But Bob Skaronsky also deserves it because he was – that close to being the same, same marks on Monday morning on the board in our dressing room with Bob Skaronsky and Forrest Gregg were almost identical. Now, you obviously had a lot of faith in your offensive line because I remember watching the Ice Bowl, thankfully on television and not being there. And so on the last play of the game, you're the guy calling the plays, right? Correct. And so, you know, you keep it and end up in the end zone. How confident were you when you made that call? Well, we were very confident because one of the lead, the lead play on short yardage in that ball game was a wedge play, meaning you uh, had two linemen up and somewhere up, up front coming together with a wedge against a single defensive player. And with no disrespect to anyone, we had a, we had that with one of the defensive players with the Cowboys. And we had run it out of the field two or three times. Uh, we had run it once before we scored and had gained yardage on it. Then we knew the play would work. It was very, very uh, strong because the Cowboys had developed a submarine technique where their, where their linemen charged so low you couldn't block them. All you could do is fall on them except for one defensive lineman who was so big and tall, he couldn't get down that low. So his charge angle was up, and you could just knock him back. And we'd seen it. We'd done it. We'd done it out in the field. We'd done it 
previous play, two or three plays back. So we knew the play would work. Unfortunately, the ground was so slick and so hard. It was tough to get footing to make it go. But that's uh, why we scored on that uh, play that we called because we got enough footing and got in. And, and rather than give the ball to the fullback whom we had used in that play and him slipping and sliding on the ground down there so hard, I was upright. I could kind of shuffle my feet and then just lunge in. And that's why we call that play we did. Who was the toughest guy that you went up against on defense? Oh, gosh, I don't know that I could just pick one. I, I really couldn't. I, it, it, would, it wouldn't be fair to so many others. Uh, there, there were some outstanding defensive people. Did you have a favorite receiver? No, I liked them all. As long as they <laughs> caught the ball. Absolutely, and they did. All of them could catch it well. When they started the Bart Starr Award, how did they make you feel? Truly honored, because that's uh, that's that, that's quite an honor to have something like that directed toward you, and so we were just very, very pleased. I mean, because you're a great guy. I mean, you've had that uh, ranch for the kids for, what, 40 years now? It's been a long time. Yes, sir. sure has. What made you decide to do that? We had the honor of meeting the co-founders, excuse me, the founder and his wife, and uh, talked to them at length about the long-term objectives, what we felt we could accomplish by having a ranch like this where we would treat underprivileged youngsters and those who had uh, parents had probably almost neglected them and thrown them out of the homes and on and on in backgrounds. And uh, so we came together and began to form the pieces for this foundation, and the rest is history. And it's interesting you bring this up because I'm looking across my office here at the far wall, and I have a beautiful picture of uh, some youngsters standing at the entrance to the Rawhide Boys Ranch. Now, after your playing career, you went into coaching. Uh, first an, an assistant uh, quarterback coach, and then ultimately you become the Packers coach. Not not following directly after Lombardi, but somewhat following in his footsteps. How was that for you? Very tough and very demanding and uh, a very uh, poor mistake on my part. Um, I don't think, fellas, that you, you, you get it into something and do it successfully unless you prepare well for it. I had not prepared to coach. I, didn't, I, hadn't, I had no uh, ambitions to be a coach. Uh, I was delighted to be where I was and what we were doing. But I think if you're going to be a coach, you work your way up the ladder until you have earned the right and earned the experience to be a good head coach. I hadn't done any of that. And as a result, I, I was not that successful. And, and it was an embarrassment for me. When you went into the Hall of Fame, what were your thoughts? Extremely honored and humbled by it because that's uh, truly a unique honor when you're in something like that. Was there a player you modeled yourself after when you were growing up? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Was there a player that you modeled yourself after when you were growing up? No, but there were just people that I had uh, uh, admired a great deal, and I think that you uh, are affected by them in some of your thinking, but gosh, there were just 
there were many out there whom I'd like very much. And this goes way, way back in time, but there was a player for the University of Alabama and then later that uh, named Harry Gilmer, whom I admired as, a, admired as a youngster, and I just thought the world of him. How did you know when it was time to call it a playing career? I don't know. In thinking about it, I just I feel that after you've been somewhere for some time with great people, been very successful, uh, you recognize that uh, perhaps it's time then to move on. One last question. What was your favorite moment in the NFL? I think the, the, the favorite moment that I had in, in the NFL was in the Ice Bowl because of what the game meant to us and uh, how we had prepared so diligently for it. And then under those conditions, and fellas, I am not exaggerated, the ground was as hard as this desk that I'm sitting here tapping on right now. And I, I don't know how we were able to do what we did, or Dallas did as well with what, with what they did. But it was very, very, very difficult to play that day. All right, that was the legendary Bart Starr. Coming up, we will have the legendary Paul Horning on Sports and Torts on FoxZone.com. <laughs> 